Thank you so much, buddy. Take your Bibles, turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13. Matthew chapter 7 and verse number 13. This message is entitled, The Narrow Way. In our day, no one likes to be called narrow or narrow-minded. To be thus labeled is never a compliment. But to most, if not all, of the unsaved world, we as believers are narrow-minded. Of course, we don't want to be narrow-minded and and self-righteous like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, nor do we want to be narrow and inflexible about matters on which the Scripture is silent. Kent uses the example of the bishop who was visiting a small denominational college in 1870 and took a strong exception when the president happened to remark that in 50 years it might be possible for men to soar in the air like birds. The bishop was scandalized, and he replied, Flight is strictly reserved for the angels, and I beg you not to repeat your suggestion, lest you be guilty of blasphemy. Thirty years later, Bishop Wright's own sons, Orville and Wilbur, made the world's first successful man fly to Kenny Hawk. But on the other hand, We want to be just as narrow as Jesus was. Some people don't think that it makes any difference what you believe. If you're a Muslim, you can follow the teachings of the Koran, or follow the teachings of Buddha, or Eastern mysticism, or the New Age movement, or even consult palm readers and psychics. After all, our world tells us all roads lead to heaven. However, Jesus never taught that. He is not one of those all paths lead to heaven kind of teachers. He was not into pluralism and inclusivism at all. And at this point, this morning where we're looking in the Lord's great sermon on the mount, Jesus begins his conclusion. Jesus now begins to make application to his listeners demanding action. You remember the first two beatitudes and how they amply described what was necessary to begin the spiritual journey. A consciousness of spiritual bankruptcy and sorrow over sin. But the Lord knew full well, as He ended His great sermon, that there would be those who would stand and applaud the truths that they had heard, but never do what was necessary to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus now introduces the difference between true and false belief. He spends the remainder of his sermon in that endeavor. He draws a clear line in the sand by introducing a series of contrasts. Two ways in verses 13 and 14, two trees in verses 15 through 20, two professions, verses 21 through 23, and two foundations, verses 24 through 29. In this message this morning, we're going to look at the contrast between the two ways. We're going to begin reading together in verse number 13. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, 
and there are many who go in by it. But narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. You know, I never read those verses without thinking of the famous poem by Robert Frost entitled, The Road Less Traveled. I don't know that Frost intended any spiritual application when he wrote the poem, but it certainly describes the choice that's given in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. That poem says, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both and be one traveler. Long I stood and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. The traveler then takes time to ponder both roads. One is well-worn path and the other has had little traffic. And he concludes his poem by saying, And I will be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. If I could give you a theme sentence this morning, give the whole message in one sentence, this would be that sentence. To put it simply, according to Jesus, there are two ways. The hard way and the easy way, and there is no middle road. It is entered by two gates, the broad and the narrow. There are no other gates. They are traveled by two groups, the large and the small. There are no neutral groups. And it ends with only two possible destinations, destruction or life. Let me get, begin this morning with you by saying there are two gates, the narrow and the wide. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in it because narrow is the gate and difficult the way which leads to life. And there are few that find it. There's the wide gate, of course. The wide gate seems more inviting. The way that this wide gate admits to is broad and roomy. There is evidently no limit to the luggage that one can take along. We, lead, we need to leave nothing behind, even our sins, our self-righteousness, or our pride. There is also the narrow gate. And I want us to note three crucial truths about that narrow gate. Jesus invites his hearers to enter at the narrow gate, the straight gate, as it's translated in the King James Version. First thing I want you to notice, you must enter. You must enter. Jesus says one must enter in at the narrow gate. Clearly, it is not just a matter of listening to the truth about the gate or admiring the architecture of the gate. It's not enough to praise it. It is not enough to stand around it. One must enter it. The second truth is one must enter this gate. Jesus says that, there, that only one road leads to life, and it is not the wide, well-traveled road. But we choose it not for its comfort and convenience, but because of its destination. In John chapter 10, Jesus uses the illustration of the shepherd's relationship to the sheep. Out in the Judean wilderness, there were stone-walled enclosures where herds of sheep could be kept at night. These enclosures, called sheepfolds, all had a single entrance. And after the sheep were inside, the shepherd himself lay down across the opening. 
and the shepherd thus became the door. No sheep could get out, and no enemy could get in, except over his body. In a very literal sense, the shepherd was the door. There was no way in or out except through him. What I need for you to see this morning is there is a certain exclusion and exclusiveness about this gate, this door. I realize that in our world it is not politically correct to maintain that there is but one door into the kingdom of heaven. The world doesn't like to hear the words of Jesus that say you must... You must enter my way or stay outside. You can't just demand another gate. Jesus is not suggesting that there are several doors to salvation and that he is but one of them. He says that he is the door. And we are, to think of, we are not to think of many ways of coming to God. Jesus is saying he is the one way, the door by which all the sheep must enter. There's only one door. There are many things that men think are the door to the kingdom of heaven. But no matter what men may think, religion is not the door. Baptism is not that door. Works is not that door. The third thing you need to note about this gate is that you must enter alone. I think the picture of a turnstile in our day probably gives us an accurate picture of the narrow gate. People enter into the kingdom of heaven one at a time. Because each is saved by a personal act of faith. The simple thing is you can go to heaven God's way or you can go to hell any way you want. But you'll only go to heaven God's way. Second, there are two gates that lead to two ways. I want to share a conclusion that I've drawn about life and this is pretty profound so you might want to write this down. Where you end up depends on what road you take. Now, if you go out here and you get on Highway 64 and you head east, you are not going to end up in San Francisco unless you have a boat to get on to take you all the way around. The decisions you make in this life will determine forever where you'll spend eternity. Note there are only two gates and every person will enter one or the other. To not choose is to enter the narrow gate is, in fact, a decision to enter the wide gate and leads to subsequent ruin. Now, the concept of two ways is not new. It's not novel. It's not uh, just New Testament. It is found in the Old Testament as well. In fact, in Psalm 1, there is a description of the way of the righteous, those who delight in God's law, who bear fruit and prosper. And then it is contrasted with the way of the wicked, who are driven like chaff before the wind and perish. Moses also presented such a choice to the children of Israel in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, we find these words, He has set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life. There's the broad way. On the broad way, there are few rules, few restrictions, and few requirements. Sin is tolerated. Truth is moderated. God's Word is praised but not studied. And His standards are admired but not followed. 
on the Broadway. If you're into nature or meditation is your thing, that's okay. Whatever path you choose to seek God is okay. There's plenty of room for whatever you choose to believe as long as you do not try to tell anyone else that there is only one way. One may study and compare religions, contrast religions, but to say one is better than the other is not tolerated. There are signs along the broad way that say, this way to heaven, but not a single one of them leads to where it promises, and not one of them fails to lead to the destruction that Jesus warns about. In contrast to the broad way, there is the difficult way. The word sometimes translated narrow, in reality almost always refers to persecution. So Jesus says the way of being a disciple of his is difficult because it is a way leading to persecution and opposition. We need to understand that Jesus Christ was absolutely upfront about the fact that the road always remains narrow and difficult. There is no attempt to lure us into coming onto the road with assurances that though it will be difficult at first, the road contour will eventually widen. Which brings us, there are two gates which lead to two ways which are followed by two groups of people. There are the many in verse 13. The many will follow the path of least resistance, the path of ease and indulgence. The many will include the nominal Christians, that the person who is a Christian in name only. It will include atheists and humanists and Jews and Gentiles from every background, economic status and educational attainment. It will include all those who have not entered through the small gate and come to a saving faith in Christ Jesus. There are the few in verse 14. Mankind loves statistics. We want to ask the question of this verse, exactly how many will make it to heaven? What percentage of mankind will get to heaven? Even what percentage of those who claim to be Christians will make it to heaven? But the greater question is, Why are there few saved, but are you among the saved? The gate being narrow, the way being difficult, it is not strange there are few that find it. It is not so much a matter of being hard to find as it is hard to accept. Men really don't have a problem that there is only one way to heaven. They just don't like the way it is. They don't like the choice they have to make. There are two gates which lead to two ways, which are followed by two groups that leads to two destinations. There is the way that leads to destruction. The broad gate, the wide road may seem the easiest way to travel, but they lead to destruction. The writer of Proverbs said it well in Proverbs 16:25, "There is a way that seems right to man, but the end is the way of death." Now understand with me this morning that the destruction spoken of in verse 14 of our text does not mean annihilation. To be destroyed in this sense does not mean that God causes one to cease to exist. Rather, it refers to loss, to total ruin. It refers to the utter 
and complete loss of well-being. The Broadway has more than enough room for all who choose to travel this way. To travel this road demands nothing other than that which we favor. Any lifestyle, any belief system is acceptable. Some people just will not accept that there is only one way to heaven, but it's true. You're not going to be able to sneak into heaven or get in by pretending to be something or someone that you're not. The story is told of Ivan IV. Most people know him by his other term. He was the first czar of all Russia. He was such a cruel man that down through history has been called Ivan the Terrible. He, was, he married seven wives and he abused them all. He was both immoral and a violent man. It was said that he used to throw animals off the Kremlin walls just to watch them die. But when he died in 1584, historians record that they shaved his head, they dressed him for burial in the robes of a monk, hoping that, that God would think that Ivan was a monk and thus allow him into heaven. That doesn't sound very smart, but it's not any worse than how some disguise who they are today, hoping that God will think that there's someone else. There are many misconceptions about the Broadway and the destruction that awaits them. First, some are on the Broadway to hell because they have chosen that road out of open rebellion. Some even scoff and say something like, the devil better move over because when I get there, I'm taking over. Others boast that they and their rowdy friends are going to have a high old time in hell. But the truth is that hell is real, and it's not fun. Secondly, some are on the Broadway to destruction, but don't believe that they'll end up there because they believe they can always choose later. People on the path, this path to hell don't see it as a path to hell at all because they fully intend to become a Christian but just not yet. Third, some are on the Broadway, and they say, I may not be a Christian, but I believe in God, and I even pray occasionally. The Bible says that even the, the demons in hell fear and tremble. They know there is a God. That's repentance that makes the difference. Charles Colson, in his testimony of his salvation, he says, there was a time when I could no longer sidestep the central question God had placed squarely before me. Was I to accept without reservation Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life? It was like a gate before me. There was no way to walk around it. I could step through it or I could remain outside. The truth of a necessity imposed limitations upon Christians, what they may believe and how Christians may behave. And there is a way that leads to life. We're to enter the narrow gate and travel the narrow road. The life that is being described here is undoubtedly eternal life. So what path is he describing as the way to heaven? What is the way that leads to life? That way, according to Scripture, is Jesus. Jesus said it very plainly, if eternal life is what you want, there's only one way to get there. 
Jesus said in John chapter, nine, chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Later in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except through me. As we said in the beginning, according to Jesus, there are only two ways, the hard and the easy. There's no middle road. Entered by two gates, the broad and the narrow, there are no other gates. They are traveled by two groups, the large and the small, there are no neutral groups. And it ends with only two possible destinations, destruction or life. Jesus really begins this whole verse with a very direct and striking command when he says, Enter! Enter! What is depicted here is life's greatest choice. The word, in its original imperative form, stresses immediacy. Do it now. There will not always be time. The gate will not always be open. The choice is between the way of life and the way of destruction. Would you pray with me? Father, your word is very clear. There's but one way to heaven. And that's through your son, Jesus Christ. Through repenting of our sins, accepting Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, accepting the free gift of salvation that he provided by going to the cross and in our place paying for our sin. I don't begin to know that everyone in this place has made a decision to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. If there is one Lord here this morning that does not know you in a personal and intimate way, perhaps this morning they felt that heart tug of the Holy Spirit telling them that they are sinners and that they need to repent and turn to you. And so I pray that right here they would turn to you, admit that they are sinners and that they can't save themselves. I pray they would accept what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary in their behalf, that he paid for their sin. I pray they'd claim that free gift this morning. Father, I pray that uh, if there is one in that condition, that you would lead them this morning to make that decision today before it's too late. Here they have yet another opportunity to make a decision for you. For each of us, help us to reaffirm what we know in our hearts that Jesus is the way. And no matter what our culture tells us, no matter what uh, is acceptable and unacceptable in our world today, uh, Jesus is the only way. Help us to stand firm, tell a lost world how they might be saved. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.